You're listening to the Living in Your Passion Place podcast, hosted by me, Luca Petrucci. Welcome to a real conversation with all walks of life, ranging from leaders and change makers to my closest friends and mentors, about discovering and taking ownership of your core values, what you really want, and what you love to do, and creating an authentic and unique life around these, a life in your passion place, and then sharing it with your community and the world. Our goal is by the end of each episode, you learn insights, principles, and steps that give you clarity, confidence, and the motivation to connect or reconnect with your passions today and ignite a life full of happiness, fun, purpose, and love because you deserve it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Here we go. This season and moving forward, I'll be interviewing, highlighting, and amplifying the voices of inspirers and leaders in the Black community who are living in their passion place and sharing it with others, and their resilient stories of living with and overcoming racism. We will also have important conversations about race and privilege that need to take place now and share ways you can support the Black community and take a stand for them today. Now, this starts in this episode featuring Chris Pipkin. Chris is an actor known for his roles in This Is Us, Tyler Perry's Loving You Is Wrong, The Real O'Neills, and The Morning Show. He's also a senior SoulCycle instructor and a box union coach in Los Angeles. In our conversation, we discuss how he leads his life through commitment to his choices, optimism, and honesty. His journey of moving to LA from Philadelphia with $1,300 to his name and no place to live, to making his acting dreams a reality and so much more. I really enjoyed having this chat with Chris, and I can't wait for you to listen right now. Welcome to Living in Your Passion Place podcast. How are you doing today? You know, man, I am doing very, very well. Thank you. I appreciate that. How about you? How about you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, The last couple days, I've been very grounded. I've been doing some consistent restoration, little techniques with just in my home, I've been saying some like declarations and I start my day with a, a daily devotional. So that really helps me be grounded and well too. Nice. Yeah. So before we start every podcast this season, we start with a clearing. And what that is, is pretty much clearing anything in your head or your mind that's going to keep you from being present during this conversation. So Chris, is there anything you want to clear right now? Yeah, I guess the biggest thing I want to say is um, to everyone in America, especially uh, wear your wear your mask. You know, just put the mask over your face, over your mouth and your nose, as they told us to. And uh, yeah, I feel like like, oh, no, got to put a mask over my face. You're taking my rights away. Like, just put your mask on. That's all I got to say about that. Okay, Chris, I'm so glad you said that because that has really been on my mind too lately, that there's a lot more challenging things to do in life and how literally putting a mask on can save 
life. So thank you for saying that because I think that's on a lot of people's minds. Yeah. And sometimes we just need somebody to, to tell us the truth. So, so Chris, before we dive into this conversation, what are um, some core values that you embody every day? Because what I've learned through this conversation over the last couple years is that the more you connect to your core values and make decisions based on those, um, the more connected you are to your passion place. So what are some core values that you live by? So at the beginning of this year, I've, I've wrote down on my phone, commit to my choices and save money. So one of the big, my mm. big core values is committing to my choices. So it's so easy to say you're going to do something or want to do something and can be swayed by your loved ones or just society or anybody in general from, you know, stopping you to pursuing whatever it is that is. So committing to your choices is a big one for me. Uh, keeping a positive mindset remaining optimistic, but not necessarily like not addressing what's real, like not being, being honest, like being honest, being optimistic and committing to your choices are like three big ones for me. Wow. I love that you said just committing to your choices because it's so easy to be swayed and committed to the shoulds, the yep. think you should do by other people. Um, yes. Wow. Yes. Chris, how have these core values, like how do they align with your passion places? And just like, yeah, share, share some of your passion places with listeners. You have such a, a really cool, unique career being an actor and uh, a fitness professional. So what are your passion places and how do your core values align with them? Okay. Well, let's break it. I guess we could break it down one by one in regards to committing to your choices. Um, uh, I think that's big because I'm from Philly originally and I moved across the country to Los Angeles to pursue my career as an actor. And I only had $1,300 at the time and I did not have a place to live. And I did have a job. I was a salesman at different Walmarts. I would sell mandolin slicers <laughs> and do public shows <laughs> in any Walmart in the country. So that was that helped me to move across the country. But I only had $1,300 saved and I did not have an apartment yet. We did not get approved for our apartment until the day before I drove to California. And wow. that was one of those things that I, I wanted to move to LA before my 24th birthday. And it was five days beforehand. And I was just like, I'm doing it. I don't care. So, yep, I did it then. And I feel like that's that, I think that's when I realized of like, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Uh, mindset really was like birthed. Like there's been multiple times in my life prior to that, that I have done that, but really that kind of opened everything up. Um, and in regards to like being, wow. yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy. First year in LA. I mean, everyone has their first year in LA stories and, you know, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but that's like, I, I, I love that you said that because you said like one of your core values is just committed to your choices. Yes. So you made a choice to be in LA by your 24th birthday. Yes. And commitment is one of your core values, which made it, you know, you just knew in the simple way that I had to do it by then. Um, because of commitment being so clear. So that's, that's cool how you, that really helped you make that decision and good for you for making that. Wow. I can't wait to hear more about, <laughs> about your, your journey since then. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a journey. And, um, but yeah, man, also like I, I truly believe honesty and like really being honest with yourself. Cause like we can say we are, but if you've, it's one of the hardest things to do to really acknowledge what you are not good at and to really acknowledge your weaknesses. Cause um, 
that's just one of those things that you have to be vulnerable with yourself. And there's so many reasons of why people cannot be vulnerable with themselves based off of childhood experiences or whatever it is, where you grew up, environment. Um, so I feel like in regards to that, as me being a fitness professional, like being wholeheartedly who I am and living true and being who I am, I puts that energy out and it attracts those types of people as well, which makes my fitness professional and acting environment and just social family, all that environment, much more enjoyable because I think it gives everyone else the comfort to also be 100% who they are too. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you shared that. And I've experienced that the last six months when I became so clear on my core values and my passions and started living a life around that. Uh-huh. It just is so amazing how all these people come in your life that support you and your vision and just what you're doing because you're embodying really who you are and what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's like being committing to who you are and being honest with it and then keeping that optimistic mindset of like, you know, shit's going to happen sometimes. And like, that's the way life is. And then, you know, just really accepting it, being honest with it, receiving it and taking it and moving it on to the next part of it. Hmm. Wow. Well, Chris, you know what, like, you know, you sharing a passion, being acting and being a fitness instructor, let's just really take listeners back to your journey to living in your passion place. You know, you can feel free to go back as far as you want to, but I I definitely am very curious. And I know listeners are about you leaving your hometown five or was it four or five days before your birthday? Yeah, it was, uh, it was the 28th of January. I drove, I started driving my birthday's February 3rd. So. (laughs) Okay. So, (laughs) wow. Wow. So, you know, I, I'm so curious about that, but yeah, however far you want to go back and just really sharing your journey to discovering your passions and, and, and living them out. Yeah, I'll be more than happy to. I'll try to give the bullet points because I've told this story in its entirety once and it takes like 30 minutes. So I'm going to try to make it like 12 to 13. So this is what we're going to do. Um, so, You're awesome. You are so awesome. <laughs> so uh, like I said, I'm from Philadelphia, originally born and raised. And when I went, when I went to college and I was doing poorly in college just because you know, I was worried about girls or worried about having fun and not really doing schoolwork. But what happened was I left my four-year university and I went to a community college and I took an acting class there. Once I took that acting class, I started doing better and everything else. And in all other <laughs> aspects of my life, I started doing better. And I was um, 21 at the time. And I was like, yeah, this is, I think this is what I want to do. Started doing research, um, did some, found out about some scams, but that led me to a friend of mine. His name's Derek Metellus. He's a, my friend now. He was a, a friend of a friend back then. Um, and he was auditioning for a pilot that he wrote and created and was directing and producing. And this was in about 2013. Long story short, he cast me in that. We filmed it. We had a premiere there. And then it all went well. And eventually we were like, you know, we need to move to L.A. 
So at 2014, beginning of 2014, that's when we drove to LA. And then, um, yeah, the, the pursuit of trying to figure out how to be an actor is when that started. So what first happened is my roommate, Derek, it was, it was four of us total in a two bedroom apartment at the time too, mind you. Um, and, uh, wow. Yeah, wow. Four bodies and rent was $1,600 and we all each had to pay 400 and we still had months where we could not pay. It was, it was, it was a struggle city first year, but we don't, I, we don't need to talk about that part. Um, <laughs> but uh uh ate a lot of rice and potatoes but um so during that time frame just learning so my over my derek he emailed all the theater companies asking like we're we're new in town and we would love to get involved in the scene essentially one company got back they invited us to their show and then the show was great they allowed us to audition for the show the following week and then that was the first like thing in la that i did i became a part of this theater company where we did 10 comedic shorts and uh, we put on a play every Tuesday and we did it. I want to say we did it maybe 15 times in 2014. It was fun, but hmm, hmm. the real pursuit hmm. man was learning how to navigate fr- finances and free time. And those are one of the hardest things to learn. See, no. And that's, it's just like, okay. So you identified and you know, for listeners right now, like this is such an important point. (laughs) Like you identified something that you were so passionate about that embodied just who you were and you were just starting your like relentless pursuit to doing this. And I am so glad you said like your resources, you just from what you said, you didn't have a lot and you didn't let that stop you from continuing to live a life in this passion. And I love what you said earlier, Chris, being like, when you took that acting class and you were just involving yourself in that all aspects of your life got better. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? And like, I am such a believer and I bet you are too, that like, Life isn't, oh, my work life, my, my family life, my, um, dating life, my personal life, you know, it's really like, it's so important to integrate all that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it sounds like that. So, so wow. So, okay. You and your friend started acting, um, and and doing these comedy shows. So yeah, continue from there. Yeah. So like I said, I need to find, I need, you need autonomy while living in Los Angeles and you can't, it's, it's tough to work a nine to five job and pursue an acting career. So like I said, I was doing the demonstration job, but I was just working way too often. But now one of my friends from back home, Rashad, he was like, Chris, you should look in the soul cycle. And I, and I asked him what, I was like, what is that? And he's, his, his older brother's wife was a soul cycle instructor. And he said, I don't really know too much about it, but I know they get paid well and they don't work that often. And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So he put me in contact with her. Her name's Kylie. And, uh, she set me up. We rode back and forth a couple of times. She set me up as a soul R, which means a soul recruit. And that allowed me to take classes to learn how to be an instructor and to learn like to ride to the rhythm because I never took a spinning class prior to that. And, um, yeah, that was probably one of the greatest things ever. Cause once that happened, initially I went in to try to become an instructor. So this was in May now. And, I didn't, I auditioned in August because you have to audition to be an instructor. And then I got it on the first time and then training. Also training normally happens in New York, but I fortunately enough was able to train in Los Angeles for their very first training they ever had in Los Angeles since 2006 and it's 2014. (laughs) So just the way the stars align, (laughs) Um, like look at gosh, like, yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, no, I mean, you you said the word that I was going to say. I'm like divine timing. That's totally an act yes. of God. Wow. Act of God, for sure. It was a look at God moment, for sure. Um, but yeah, it was beautiful, man, because I auditioned. And then, so the training was in October. Training was a month, which is normally 10 to 12 weeks in New York at the time, but it was four weeks in LA. Um, I got through the training. I became an official instructor in November of 2014. So boom, I'm now I'm doing the demonstration job on a weekend and I'm teaching soul cycle classes um, throughout the week, like only like four or five at the time. And I would teach one on the weekend as well. So my schedule was still relatively busy, but I was transitioning to or evolving to the next stage of my life. Um, so that was great. So eventually I meet this woman named Stacy Dutton. And after class, she asked me if I was an actor. And I said, yes, I am. And she said, I'm all, I, I'm a casting director and I am um, casting this show. It's a reenactment show. It's non-union. It doesn't pay well at all, but you should come audition for it. <laughs> and I said, I would love to. <laughs> uh, following day, I go downtown. I audition for it. Uh, it goes really well. She calls me afterwards saying, the director loved you. And then the following day after that, I got it. And I'll never forget, that was my first acting job that I got paid for. I got paid $300 for an acting job that was two days. And um, if you know anything about it, like with non-union stuff, it doesn't pay as well as like stuff that's in the union. But hey, it was my first paid acting thing. And I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so, so so what were like some feelings like going through, through your head and your mind and your body, like you got a yes to something you were passionate about? That's a great question. Um, it's, it's so, sometimes it's so easy to forget things because you're always like, going to the next thing but i remember feeling so ex like i was i was overwhelmed with emotions because it was my first year in la um i was struggling financially all year and then she comes and she asked me if i'm an actor and the fact that like all these things led up to this moment of just being in this right place right time and uh, for somebody to ask me that and I, it'd be a casting director at that and not really even knowing that much about what a casting director is. And for those who don't, casting director is who you audition in front of and then they send your tape out to pro um, producers and directors, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, I was I was I was very happy and eager to show that I can do it. <laughs> You know. <laughs> See, you know, and 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 Chris, I'm, I'm again. I'm going to thank you for saying that because you know that's something that like I've learned last year when I recorded season one of the podcast. I kept on saying chasing your passion place, like it's a destination, like you know, it's the next goal, the this, the that, and that. And I'm like Luca, and like people, like um, guests have told me and friends have told me, and they're like, isn't it about connecting to your passion place? And like when you get a yes into something that you're passionate, or like the day that you're living in it. Yeah. to like realize the emotions that are going through your body and that like something that you asked for and you wanted like you got yeah yeah really it's like it it's an amazing feeling of like it's like it's manifestation man you know it's like it's, it's just such a it's such an amazing feeling of when it actually comes to fruition oh, um, it, it. <laughs> uh but yeah so so yeah that happened and then i just i remember how excited i was when she told me i did well and i was like that's amazing so I, I filmed that and then she also then, she's still a friend of mine to this day. I was actually at her house maybe two weeks ago. But she uh, she then referred me to my first agent. And then I that agent sent me on two auditions the following week. One was for an NBA commercial, one was for a Dairy Queen commercial. And I booked both of those. <laughs> I, I got both of those right away, which also 
I, I did. That's just that doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen like that. So I was just like, whoa, I'm on a roll. And then also one of those commercials were non-union and the other one was union. So that's when I learned about how kind of like much money you could make from doing stuff like this. And I was just like, wow. But uh, it's crazy because this is probably around February when this is happening. So let's fast forward to April. Soul Cycle reaches out to me and they say, Chris, um, Tyler Perry Studios wants to essentially rent a studio and have an instructor go down there and teach for six months. And I was like, six months too long. And then um, they're like, okay, how about three months? And I was like, initially I thought I can't do it. I'm like, I'm on a roll. I can't leave. But then I thought about it again. I talked to my family. They were like, it's Tyler Perry. He produces everything. So you should, you should consider that. So I was like, okay, I'm down to go. They're like, great, you'll go in a month. And then the next day they called me and said, great, you're going to go actually in like 10 days. And I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. So I go to Atlanta. I start teaching soul cycle classes. And I wasn't allowed to talk about it at this time. I had to tell people that I booked something. I wasn't allowed to tell people I was doing this because it was a secret. So I w- Tyler Perry had 400 employees at his studios at the time. So I go there. I'm teaching classes Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. and 7.30 a.m. And then what happens was is... Uh, I went up to his office and he was just talking to me about like who I am and what I do. And he was like, you're only down here for me. Right. And I was like, well, I'm an actor. I, I just, I left LA to come do this for a little bit. And his first response was, Oh, you're an actor. We'll put you in one of the shows. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I remember him later telling me like, I didn't know if you like, he was like, maybe I shouldn't put you in a show cause you didn't show any excitement. And I remember just being so shocked cause I didn't like, I, it just didn't feel real, <laughs> you know, like it just didn't, yeah. I didn't, I yes. didn't understand. So, okay. Okay. I just want to clarify. So you go to, and we're Tyler, they're in in Georgia, right? Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Is where, so you go there initially. So it wasn't initially for you to be in one of his shows. It was just to teach. Soul cycle. A cycling class. Okay. Yep. Okay. It was, it was only to teach the cycling classes for three months because he films his stuff in Atlanta. And at the time there was no soul cycle in Atlanta. So he made a soul cycle studio. He, he sat down with the owners and they agreed on this and he put a soul cycle studio in his, in his stu- his film studios there. And um, I was the instructor. They asked to go down there and teach the classes. <laughs> okay wow so like you're doing that and then he straights up ask you that yeah, yeah he, what a just what yeah. an unbelievable moment yeah it was it was pretty crazy so but it wasn't at that moment that it happened like what happened was i got to know him and like the cast and the producers and everybody kind of behind the scenes i was there for 12 weeks so i'm gonna say eight weeks passes and throughout this time like we all traveled together like we went to the like, it, was, it was a great time um but eight weeks passed and he was like, Chris, I wrote a part. I want you to audition for it. So he's like, go home, learn it, come back tomorrow. So I do that. I come back. And then initially I'm auditioning in front of one of the producers and one of the casting directors. And then while I'm auditioning, Mark Swinton, who's one of the uh, producers, he says, oh, there goes Tyler. We should go audition in front of him now. And I was like, OK. Uh, so <laughs> we go upstairs, we audition. And I remember I was like doing this, all this movement with my hand. He was like, stop moving your hand. And then I like made it like a dead fish kind of hand. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, uh, after the audition, he was like, wow, Chris, that was really good. So then he asked me to leave the room for a little bit. I left the room and I came back in and he was like, Chris, I want to offer you the part. And I was like, what? <laughs> now that excitement was, I couldn't hold that excitement. I was very excited. Cause he was like, as of right now, you're in three episodes 
you might die. I don't know what's going to happen. And I was like, man, if you would have given me three lines in one episode, I would have been just as excited. Um, but yeah, those three episodes within the next two years turned into 26 episodes. And oh, <laughs> yeah. Good. So from you 2015, know, you know, 2017, I was Officer Pete Davis on this TV show called If Loving You Is Wrong. If loving you was wrong, okay. I need it. I, I, I haven't heard of that. I need to watch it. So, what 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 network was this on, or what network is it on? It was it was on. Actually, the series finale was like I think it was two weeks ago, but it was on OWN, the Oprah Winfrey Network. Uh, oh yeah, yep. Every Tuesday, nine o'clock, Officer Pete was on there. <laughs> Twenty six episodes. <laughs> <laughs> wow congrats congrats that is like an amazing accomplishment thank you man i appreciate that i uh it was um it was surreal <laughs> and, and it's just like um, a concept that i've been really thinking about lately is that we have like two options in life we have um and my my um, leadership coach Suzanne Conrad from Light Your Leadership taught me this we have the option to lean into faith and possibility uh-huh. and the backbone of that is patience so that's option one. And then our other option is she calls the unhappy face God. And that's like fear yeah. and doubt as the, as sort of, you know, the backbone. And I'm like thinking right now, so you, it just, I know you're the person, it sounds like it. And just from what we talked about, you are the person to live in that faith and the possibility and have the patience tagging right belong, or right, right behind, um, the, to, to just like compliment those together. And this is a perfect example. Like you moved to LA with faith that like, I'm going to do this. Like I, you know, I don't have a lot of money, but I'm going to do it. And look at, you just said yes to certain things. And like, you were patient and uh, it seems like a, like a year passed by where you got that yes to Tyler Perry and look at you were on 26 episodes. That's just, I mean, that is a beautiful example of how it can happen for any of us if we keep the patience tied in exactly. to the faith. Exactly. And then also not comparing your journey to somebody else's because like what's for you is what's for you. And uh, yeah, patience really is probably the most important thing you said right there because like it's so easy. It can be easy, I should say, to almost lose faith sometimes if, if you are not um, staying grounded in who you are. And, and also believing that like that should be me you know like that that's in my opinion that's coming from like a negative space but if you allow yourself to really just like for me me allowing myself to just sit in it and trust the direction that feels right brought me to where i am and then acting wise things have been great like you know i've i did an abc show after that did a couple episodes of that and then i I was on i did two episodes of this is us and then most recently i did an episode of the morning show which is on apple tv and then i um and then soul cycle wise i started selling out classes and i became a senior instructor and i started like um yeah like things like started to and i wasn't broke anymore <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh <Yay. laughs> you know it wasn't so things uh things really they shift it. So like, and obviously like you still always have goals, like all these things are great. And like, there was a time during this time frame where I booked something and then it was like maybe 16 months until I booked another thing. And I remember just being upset because I would get so close. Like it was like the show Empire. I was so close to getting a role and I wouldn't get it. But then what happened is that's when I booked This Is Us. And once I booked This Is Us, all this stuff before felt like it never even happened all the negative stuff that happened. So it was like, it was just like remaining patient and trusting the uh, who you are and trusting that you're exactly where you need to be. 
trust. Trust. So, so Chris, how does it feel to connect with things that you really want, that you love, like daily? Because I mean that that you've decided to make passions of yours careers. Yes. So, so what what are some of the feelings? Maybe take us to a day on. This is us or the morning show, two of like my absolute favorite shows. And I did see you on there. You you were on for morning show. You were on the episode where they were all like at a, a restaurant together, right? All the girls on the morning show. Yes. I was the waiter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I'm like, I know I see you. So, so, ta- so, so take us to one of those days where you're just like living, like you're the definition of living in your passion place. And like, just, yeah, take us a day, um, on one of those shows and how'd it feel and just like things going through your head? Well, specifically that week in general, that I felt that happened in 2000 and it's 2020. Oh, yep. It's terrible 20s. It's terrible 2020. All this. <laughs> going, going from 2018 into 2019, I booked a commercial, a national commercial. My first audition in 2019 was a commercial audition. I booked that commercial. And then a week later, I had an audition for the morning show and I booked that. And also my birthday was like a week later. So my birthday happened, which was on a Sunday that year. It was a Super Bowl Sunday. And then on Monday, I had a fitting for the morning show. On Tuesday and Wednesday, I filmed the morning show. I only had three lines, but what they did is they did this thing called block shooting. So we were on location, like we were on the bar that we filmed at. And it was so small that they had to individually film everybody. And and it took a long amount. It took... Um, longer than it would if you were in a studio because of the minimal room that was provided. And it was also mm-hmm. like an eight page scene or something like that. So that took two days. And then I had a fitting on Thursday for the Capital One commercial. And then on Friday, I filmed the Capital One commercial, which I was a spin instructor in the commercial, which is currently on TV <laughs> right now. <laughs> so this all happened. Ooh. That was probably, that That was five days it's starting the day after my birthday of like an amazing week. <laughs> wow. So yeah. Well, how did, how did an amazing week feel? It felt, it, it felt like this is exactly what I should be doing. It felt like validation of like, you know, it, it's all like, it was worth it. Like if it, if it just felt, if I felt proud of myself of like really just trusting the unknown because like, because it's just so, you just don't know how things happen here because there's no way. It's not like you go get your bachelor's, then you get your master's and then, and then you started this entry level position and you make this amount of money. And then in 10 years, it'll be this amount of money. It's like, it's not how it is for acting and, and, and the fitness industry. So I just, I just knew that if I commit to my choices and if I am honest with who I am, that I felt it's, it's inevitable that I will get to positions like this. And I just felt very proud of myself and I felt validated. And it was, it was a great week. And it was right after my birthday and it was the beginning of the year. So it was like, I'm killing this new year's resolution type stuff right now. So Chris, that's, that's, I'm glad you brought up like when you stay committed to your core values, which are commitment, Mm -hmm. um, choice and honesty 
when you just stay so aligned and committed to those while making decisions in your passion place, like look at what that brought you to, like an amazing start of 2019, like some bucket list goals achieved your birthday. Like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was a great feeling. <laughs> it was great. So, so, so Chris, um, living in this, in this space, how have you faced racism? So like being a soul cycle instructor in one of the biggest communities in the U S and, and living in LA, like, have you faced racism being a, a, a black man and how? I have been fortunate enough to not in LA, not experience like the most overt racism. Um, a couple of stories popped into my brain though. Like I remember maybe it was a couple of years ago, I was visiting a friend who lived at Manhattan Beach. And what happened was you need like a gate code to enter. And then it's like, it's a, um, you know, those town homes and condos and like those kind of, uh, I don't know what they're called. I can't think of the name. Uh, but, you know, when it's just a bunch of condos and townhomes everywhere. So I go in there, mm-hmm. I park my car. And then as I'm walking to her house, a lady pulls up next to me and says, there's no soliciting here. And I was like, huh? And she's like, there's there's no soliciting here. And then I realized that she was saying, you don't belong here um, because I was black. <laughs> and I was like, OK, thank you, white woman. And then I let her I let her on her way. But then uh, I was visiting my white friends in Manhattan Beach and I told them what happened. They were like, what? And they were just they were so upset. And she, and she knew the lady, actually. And she emailed the woman and told her it's not OK. You don't speak to my friends like that. And uh, it was it was just it was just it sucks because just because of me walking in this environment being black she assumed that i was not supposed to be there um and it's just and it's just it's just yeah it's just it's just one of those things that like always happens and and unfortunately for me a lot of my racist racist encounters have been in manhattan beach for some reason like i don't know what it is about there because like so many good people i know live there but for me personally my racist encounters have been there um Cause it was another time I was walking down the street and then this one guy, it was me. I was with one other person and this guy went to turn as we were crossing the street and he almost hit us. And I was like, what? And, um, and I like, I, I kind of, I just kept walking. And then he, as I was walking away, he rolled down the window and said, 100% black. And what does that mean? Who knows? <laughs> but he almost hit us with his car and then proceeded to, just say something demeaning as he drove away. It just it just didn't make didn't make any sense to me. But you know, um, it's just one of those things that like <clears throat> you've experienced before. Or walking down the streets and the cops stop you. Say, hey, what are you guys doing? Where are you guys going? You have your ID on you. It's like, why do you need my ID, officer? Like, what what am I doing other than walking down the street right now? And there's another white person that just walks right past me. Like, why are you stopping me? Oh, there's been suspicious activity in the area. So why does that, what does that have to do with me? Is there a description of me? Like, what, what, what is it? And then the amount of times that that's happened, just a cop pulling you over and asking you for identification just because you're walking, walking while black or driving while black, as they say, um, in an area, the fact that it just still happens, you know, it's upsetting. Wow. So that has happened to you numerous times? Yeah. The last time it happened, it was last year. Probably wow. maybe, maybe like July of last year, yeah, a cop pulled over. Said, "Oh, we we heard mm. there was suspicious activity." And 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 they tried to like also like, "Where are you guys going?" 
do you have yeah do you have id and it's just like <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah so so um i'm i'm thank thank you for sharing those because like <laughs> those are things that like i'm like not familiar with because I've, that's, they've never happened to me. I'm, you know, uh, Hispanic and Italian and white male. Uh-huh. And it's just, I'm, I'm really just, just all these like little things learning of just like small everyday actions, but it's the compound effect. And if that like constantly is just happening, you know, month after month, week after week, Chris, I want you to like, um, take me back. I know we talked a little bit before about some like instances in your life, in your younger life where, um, racism has really been prevalent. And I'm really curious, was there ever a time in, in your childhood where your parents or role models had to, to share anything about like race and just how really in the United States, people aren't equal because of it? Honestly, the biggest thing that pops in my brain, which I think if you ask almost any black person is the, uh, being approached by the police conversation, because the amount of fear that your parents feel when they're, especially as a black boy or am now a black man, the amount of fear that they feel when they're telling you, if you get pulled over by the cops, make sure you keep your hands on the steering wheel the entire time. Make sure every time you reach for something, you say, officer, I'm reaching for this. I don't want you to feel threatened. I'm only reaching for my ID. I'm only reaching for my registration or for my insurance card. Make sure you are clear and concise. You're looking forward. Your hands are always where they can be seen so the officer does not feel threatened because we don't want you to die because an officer is fearful of his life because of you being a black person. And that's a conversation you've had. We've had since even before I can drive. That's just one of those conversations you always have. And like, um, it's a, it's one of those things we just always have known, you know? So you just always, always have known, or like my, even with my dad being pulled over and watching him having to be that way as well. It's just like, it's just things you kind of remember and things you see. And it's kind of just imprinted on you because, uh, color of your skin. You know, and, and this is, um, and like, help me explain this too. And if, if there is a better way to say it, please share. I just feel like this is a, a, a simple example of privilege, like privilege, like that I have over you yeah. in the sense that I've, I've never like my parents never had that conversation, you know, when like, whether it was like, you know, the birds and the bees conversation, I don't even know if they had that with me, but you know, like those conversations that like most parents have to have with children, like, you know, that's just in life. Um, that was a conversation I never had to have. And I never thought in a million years, what you just said, I've never thought that in my life. Sorry. It's just, it's just, and that's also, I've learned recently in later years that, not all kids have that talk that are black. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that, you know, other ethnicities, especially more fair skinned people don't, or like people with that are in a different class um, financially don't have those conversations. And to me, it's like, it's almost like, wow, you know, I, like, I didn't, I didn't realize, I didn't realize that. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and do you feel this is an example of privilege? A hundred percent. Yes. It's a hundred percent. I think, I think there's so many examples of privilege because also privilege, like there's, there's so many examples that you don't even know you're privileged because you never had to be aware of it. So of course you're going to, a lot of people become defensive because they never had to become aware of their privilege until recently. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, there's so, there's so many things. I mean, even me be like, I'm, I'm a light skinned black man. So like even that offers some sort of privilege over like 
let's say my little, my little brother, he's a brown skinned black man. And, that, and that, unfortunately that can offer more privilege. And my mom, my mom, she's, she's half black, half white, but she's curly hair and has blue eyes. And that obviously offers different privilege for her as well. So, um, I always, there's this one joke we always say, and it's, it's upsetting that it's a joke, but like people will be like, Oh, but you're not black. Like certain white people have said to me, you're not black, black. I was like, what, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> to me, that sounds like, it's like, Oh, <laughs> you're just like, you're half shit. You're not full shit. Like that person over there, he's full shit, but you're just, you're just half shit. You know how to adapt and be around white people. And it's like, and then like, I'm one of those people that I have to hear it super direct. And I think that might be an East coast thing, thing for me, but like, I like knowing things at its most purest form and it might be raw. It might be rough. It might be tough sometimes, but to me, that's how I learn and receive it the most. And uh, yeah, people, people feel that way. <laughs> and I've, I've heard that yeah, so you many know, times. Yeah. And I just, all these examples that you're sharing are so crucial because it's just helping people learn and it's helping me learn, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I've heard that being said, I mean, I need to, like, I can't remember if I've never, maybe, maybe I have said, you know what I mean? It's just like checking myself with, wow, like, okay, that's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like th- those small things. And that's why like this season on the podcast, I'm going to continue to just interview inspiring leaders and change makers like you, because you really are in your community, um, because it's just helping us learn, um, in addition to the learning that we all can just do online and by reading books and listening to podcasts. So Chris, I want to ask you, so you uh, mentioned that you have a younger brother. How many siblings do you have? I have one younger brother. Okay. So how have you been a mentor to him, especially like right now with the racism in America being at the forefront, have there been questions that he's asked you and in, in conversations that you've had? Um, and again, how have you, you've led him through those and maybe you've learned something from him. I was about to say, honestly, well, two things you said something about before I answer that question, something about, uh, the research we do on their own. I think that's pivotal for people of privilege to do research on their own and not expect their black friends to give them all their research. Because you got to remember, like, this is a lifetime of experiencing things this way. And just because you have, you just now realize that there's some imperfections and there's things that you're noticing that um, black people go through, like being an advocate for them and, and, and sharing like your concern, it's all great. But really what's the best is like really doing your research and learning why systematic and systemic things are the way they are. Whether if we're talking about, you know, the black history or, you know, supporting black owned businesses or anything in regards to the, anything black, because I know just taking that extra step to really like educate yourself, it, 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 uh, it means a lot. Um, so I just wanted to say that real quick. In, in regards to my little brother, he's, uh, he's the most, like I'm 30, he's 25 now and he's been on it. Instagram posts, he's been, mm. pro- he's been protesting every day. He actually got arrested for protesting peacefully outside of the uh, mayor's house in, in uh, LA. Um, and, uh, and he, he, uh, he was, he was let go the same night and which was great. Cause they only arrested him because they, they arrested everybody there because of the curfew that they set. But all they were doing was outside of their home and uh, you know, peacefully protesting saying, whether to defund the police, I'm not a defund the police. And uh, yeah, he's really been active in the community, especially with the killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Maude Arbery, and everyone else, Elijah McClain, and so many black 
people that have been killed by the police. And my little brother, Brandon Mercer is his name. He's been on it, being the best example and leader, especially for my, you know, his age and just really doing it. And I couldn't be more proud of him for standing up for what he believes in. Hmm. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's dang. That's wow. Well, I bet you're really proud of him. Yeah. No, I love him, man. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's cool to, it's cool to, are you an older sibling by any chance? I'm not. I'm not. I'm a. I'm an only child. Oh, you're an only child. Well, my mom's an only child, so I, I can understand. I understand only children. But as an old, as the oldest sibling, and watching your little brother, or just in general watching your younger sibling grow up to be who they are, it's it's one of the. It's just. It's just. A, it's a very great feeling, and it makes you very proud. And uh, hmm. yeah, it's cool. I'm very proud of him. Yeah, that's, yeah, oh, that's, yeah, that's really, I'm, I'm glad you shared that. So, so Chris, what are some ways that you're taking a stand and that you have taken a stand um, against racism and just real equality for the black community? Um, share a couple of things that are you're doing and then also people in LA that they can join you and other ways that people can, can join you or, or just the movement online. Yeah. Um, one of the big things that I, I kind of mentioned earlier about being who you are, because there's this term called code switching and I don't know if you know much about it, but it can be Mm-mm. like, have you ever saw the movie? Sorry to bother you by any chance? No. Okay. Well, it was, it was yeah, explain it. it. It was about a uh, telecommunications company and you can work your way up the ranks and you're, you're cold calling people. But eventually one time there's like, you got to just use your white voice. And then, uh, then the voice becomes dubbed and white actors start doing voiceover over these black actors. And then the, the main character starts going up the rank because he starts making crazy sales because he's using his white voice. Um, it's, it's pretty funny. It's, it, it, the movie's, um, it's a little crazy, but it's a, it's, it's a good movie. Um, but I say that to say that there are a lot of people that in certain environments, they may not speak how they normally speak or like, you know, they may not use the slang that you normally say, or they may not, uh, they just may change their tone to appease wherever they are. And I definitely, there's been a time in my life where I'm sure I have done that. And I've learned that that doesn't benefit me because I attract people that I don't need around me when I do that. But when I 100% myself, mm. I attract that right energy that appreciates who I am as a person. So like, again, I'm from Philly. I'm like, oh, this Joe about to be crazy. Like that's something I would just say in my normal life. And um, <laughs> that's I, the fact, if I feel uncomfortable to say that, I need to figure out why I feel uncomfortable to say that. Um, so, but like I said, and my brother has been protesting and posting and he posts the protests all the time. His Instagram is BMRCR. So uh, whether it is protesting, you don't, don't feel guilty for not protesting, but whether it's protesting, um, really what I think is more important um, is having honest conversations with people. And I, I like to call them all lives matter people. The people that just feel the need that they have to say all lives matter and cannot say black lives matter. And I think uh, really, if you, really explaining why we, why black lives matter does not mean um, all lives don't matter. So like really having those conversations because obviously all lives matter, but like, yeah, like, like, but really like explaining why my black life matters and being open to conversation being open to criticism and acknowledging times you may have been racist in the past or acknowledging times where, uh, 
at times you may have been racist in the past and not even know you have because of your privilege <laughs> or realize. Yeah, you know, just like yeah, like we chatted about earlier. And I saw an example on social media about like all lives matter and black lives matter. The whole like burning house. If there was a burning house on your block, yeah. um, and like people were in need, like your neighbors who you love were in need, and like it was the time to like focus on their lives. Like you wouldn't be like, oh, we got to check on every single house in the neighborhood right now. It's like, no, this these people are in need. They need allies. They need support. They their lives are at stake. Like they're they're the focus. Is, is that an example explaining that? That is a perfect example. Um, I want to add to that. Um, when Trayvon Martin was killed by Mark by Zimmerman, we all remember that, right? When that happened, mm-hmm. and uh, what was that? That was in 2012. He was killed, and I remember Black Lives Matter and all that becoming a thing then. And well, that's that saying specifically, and that meme you just said right now that was was being said then. So. I had to take a step back because I was almost getting upset that the fact that the same memes are circulating right now that were circulating years ago and people had no idea. So I appreciate this newfound love and uh, and support. But um, that's what I mean by like, especially being black, that sometimes shit is just not it's not new. Like We've been experiencing these things and some things that's sad that may be new to new to you guys which really it's not. And, 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 um, it's, it's one of the, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate, man. It's unfortunate. But again, I do appreciate the allyship. I appreciate, I appreciate all that, but, uh, it just, it's hard to not think about the times where that same exact thing you just said was said eight years ago. You know, and I'm, thank you for saying that. Thank you. And that's another small example of privilege, you know, and, um, after saying all that, what I thought is that new choices need to be made. Uh-huh. <laughs> like the new choices that I'm making just to live my life differently. Like I'm part of a book club and we've been listening to podcasts and reading and it's, I'm just learning so much and I am still just constantly in this unlearning and learning stage and I'm going to be there for a bit. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation today because it's holding me accountable to like Luca. You said you're going to be consistent with learning. Have you been consistent because social media is not as busy with Black Lives Matter because a few weeks have passed? Like you're in this for the long game. And I and thank you for reminding me that because don't you think this is a long game? Yeah, it's it's it. I mean, you got to remember, like, even if we all know somebody that was born before uh, in the 1960s and before that and the Jim Crow era. Mm-hmm. Like there's people still alive today that was legally allowed to be legally allowed to discriminate against people. Like the, I told I did a, a podcast the other day and I gave this example. My old, one of my old roommates, he told a story about his grandmother. They were all at home, they were watching football on television, and then she said, um, "Oh, look at that little nigger boy on the TV." And then she and then she said, "Oh, wait, I forgot. We can't say that anymore." And so for me, I'm like, for one, grandmom, you know, you can't say that anymore. You probably feel that you should be able to say it, but you can't. Two, uh, <laughs> it just makes me laugh that she that she said, oh, yeah, we can't say that anymore. And it, it just it just reminds me of how there's so many people that look at us differently because we, we are black and that are still alive today and can only imagine how they were probably in their 20s or that however age they were during those years. 
you know, and then that's a whole different conversation about like the prison system and stuff. I don't need to get into all that, but just just knowing that there's people alive and maybe even people in your family that just still feel the way they felt the black about black people just because of years of all of years of feeling that way and being taught being taught to be that way. Hmm. Very good point. Yeah, that's wow. Because people are still alive that that when that was just normal. Yeah, when there was colored bathrooms and whites only bathrooms. That was not that long yeah. ago. There are people still alive. And if yeah. you know, and even if regard, if we'll say if we talk about Juneteenth in in uh, eighteen sixty five, where the last slaves were freed in Texas because of the Emancipation Proclamation that was signed two years prior to that, that also was not that long ago. And like. Just acknowledge, like also like slavery being a real thing. I think uh, obviously we weren't alive then, but this is this is one of the examples I give. I, I try not to bring politics into it, but you know that famous Donald Trump quote that says, "My father gave me a small loan of a million dollars." Remember that? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, he well he said that once, and um and he said that's how he started all of his businesses. So Donald Trump okay. is what he's seventy, whatever, right? So let's say his father gave him that loan in his twenties. That's what, 1960 or 1970, whatever year it is. Let's think about the amount of white parents or that were able to give their child a loan of a million dollars then versus the amount of black parents that were able to give their child a loan of a million dollars then. And think about how different it is and think about why it's so different. Like in regards to generational wealth, if slavery ended... In 1865, I'm saying that with air quotes because you can't see me. How how would we be able to build up enough generation generational wealth in a hundred years versus white people that had years and years of years of passing things down to be able to give your children a loan of a million dollars? And that's not even saying the discrimination and the whites only and and blacks only and uh, the prison system and all that. That's not even talking about that. This is just talking about the end of slavery and finances then. To now, to when Donald Trump got his loan. Yeah, and it's wow. Thank you for sharing that. And it's just start like the starting point is very, is not the same. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like you're saying, like a starting point is not the same. And I mean that's like a very extreme example. And I'm so glad you shared it because I mean there are people that have assistance financially from parents. You know what I mean? And whether it was yeah. a million dollars, you know whatever it was. But just like so, the the playing field isn't even. And then on top of that, there's these all these racist acts that are happening. So it's like this double whammy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so Chris, you were just such, oh my gosh, I'm like so thankful that we got to have this conversation and just sharing these super important points and also sharing your story of how like you are just a resilient change maker. Like, you know, from, I appreciate that. from, uh, yeah, you really are. I mean, just going back to the beginning of our conversation, how you came to California with less than $2,000, less than $1,500. And you were living in this small place with four people and you were just so determined to, to live in your passion place. So somebody that's listening today, that's just really having a, a challenging time in their life and they know what their core values are or some of them, and they know what they're passionate about. What's some advice that, that you would give them? Um, the biggest thing I think that I've received, because like sometimes advice is just so simple and we, as we grow and learn more language, we 
these quotes evolve into just greater than the, the simplest form. But the simplest form that I would say is that people want to see who you are. So give them who you are. Like whoever that is in you, like it's okay to be afraid. It's okay. It's okay to not know. It's okay to, but to, it's still okay to go out and try and pursue the things that you love because you you owe it to yourself. Like you deserve the best. So if there's something you want to do, go do that thing, but do it 100% as you and you'll be so fulfilled. Mm, oh my gosh. Okay. Repeat the first part. You said you, that was just an amazing, mm. I just love that. So like you be a hundred percent you and people come. Yes. I truly, you know, that. and oh, you know, okay. So this, the, the timing of this is so just on, on point. So I am like in the process of starting a business, um, uh-huh. looking for like target markets and this or that. And I was reminded of something my mentor told me this example. Exactly. Like when Lululemon was created 20 years ago, were was the world saying, Oh my gosh, I really want a um, fitness apparel company that is based in self-development. I'm just craving that right now. (laughs) You know what I mean? Were were people saying that? No, they were not saying that. (laughs) You know what I mean? But Lululemon was just created in this essence by, you know, Chip Wilson, Suzanne Conrad, and, you know, whoever else. And like, look at how big it is. And because aren't you, you're an ambassador for Lululemon, correct? I, my, I'm a legacy ambassador now. My two-year ambassadorship just ended about a month ago, (laughs) but yes. Okay. Okay. See, so, so, so you're, you're connected with it, but it just, you know, that's like a, 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 one of the many examples of you just be authentically you, you create authentically what you want to create and people will come. Exactly. And, and still, still do the work too. like, do the work, do it well, do it your definition of like, just do it. Like, don't, uh, sorry to mean to quote Nike. It's so easy to do it, but like to like, just be who you are and give all your efforts into, into whatever it is you're pursuing. And in my opinion, it's inevitable. Hmm. 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 Yep. You know, it's just going back to our con- like earlier, you know, having that faith and just the patience needs to be there. Mm-hmm. But if you continue to be who you are, hard work, it's inevitable that you're going to be successful and whatever that definition of successful is. Exactly. Uh, and also is to you. Th- so things change too, man. I guess la- last point is like things evolve all the time. When I moved to LA six years ago, there, the Netflix series that there are today weren't even there then. So like, Things are significantly different now than they were then. So for me, that I'm, in, I'm now in a space that has much more opportunity created because I was able to stand the test of time and just really like push and my persistence and my resilience and just really like live in that space of, you know, it's going to come. What's for me is what's for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, Chris. Yeah, this is, I mean, we could be talking for a lot longer. This is just, this is, has been an, an awesome conversation. And to finish off, I'm going to ask you a couple questions that I ask all guests. These questions really embody my core values and the things that I love in my passion place. So yeah, they're just quick. There's four rapid fire questions and whatever comes to your head. Um, yeah, I'll just share it. So the first is what is and you probably have a lot since you are a fitness instructor, but what is your favorite jam, your favorite musical jam right now? <laughs> wow, that's, 
That's a tough one. Uh, right now, favorite musical jam would be, uh, you know, honestly, man, the one song I always loved and I played it to my mission class is Drake and Lil Wayne right above it. And it's also the the uh, intro music to Ballers on HBO. I just just one of those songs <laughs> that came out in college and when I was in college and I just love it still. Yeah, it's just so cool when a a song comes out at like a certain point in your life, how it just like takes you back there, right? Yes, (laughs) yes. Uh, You're probably thinking of a memory, right? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, um, second one, most inspiring person in your life? Most inspiring person in my life. Hmm. So many inspiring people in my life, but... uh, mm, can't can't choose just one, right? Actually, I'm gonna say one, and right now I'm gonna say my little brother. My little brother is out here making a change, and it's it's so inspiring to watch, and I'm super proud to watch him grow to who he is. It's it's love. It's awesome. Let mm. let that man. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it just I, I I love it. Like you can be inspired by somebody that's younger than you. Yes, hundred percent. You know. Yeah. In a past conversation, we talked about how, you know, children can be very inspiring to their parents. So I'm glad you said siblings can too. Um, Okay. Your favorite book or podcast about Mm. self-development? There's this one book my friend gave me called Mind Gym. And, uh, you know, just being a fitness person and it has a lot of like sports analogies and uh, uh, like, uh, all sports, all like all stars, like Michael Jordan, and just like quotes they have in times of their life, and it was just a good book of like resilience for me. That was good. So, Mind Gym, that was one that I I liked a lot. But mm. honestly, my favorite okay. book I've ever read, sorry, just a little extra, was Kevin Hart's book because he's from Philly. He's an actor, he's a comedian, and that's the first book I ever read. And like, I picked it up maybe four times, and I read the entire book and within four pickups, and it was over three hundred pages. And I don't read often. And that was a, uh, I loved that book. Super inspiring for me. Really? And was like his autobiography? It was his autobiography. Yep. Okay. Okay, cool. And, and lastly, to finish this off, what is one word that embodies your passion places? Um, I would say optimism. Hmm. Optimism. Mm, that's a good one. Optimism. Optimism. Well, Chris, thank you again so much for for being on this episode, and and yeah, I really appreciate who you are. I really appreciate you reaching out. Had a blast speaking to you. It was a great conversation, man. And um, I love when people start their own things and just really commit to it. And so I appreciate you, man. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode and being a part of this conversation. I hope it has you talking about and connecting with your passion place a little more and sharing it with your community. Connect with us on Instagram at Passion Place Podcast and on Facebook at Living in Your Passion Place. I really enjoy seeing what you learned and loved about each episode when you share it on your stories, profiles, and with me in person. Tune in next Wednesday for a brand new episode.